This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Aaron Faso, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you. Um, I appreciate uh, you extending the uh, invitation. So glad to be here. Well, it's a good book. It's called So Far So Good. That is my favourite phrase or saying or whatever. I say that all the time. So far, so good. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit of a play on the last on my surname, but um, but also I think it um, speaks to where I am and the life that I've I've had thus far. I guess. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I feel as though people um, who say that are kind of half glass full people. Yep, I'm a, I'm a bit of an optimist, but you know, I've uh, had to overcome some self sabotage traits as well. <laughs> yeah, okay, haven't we all? Aaron is an actor, screenwriter, and producer. He is a proud Torres Strait Islander who grew up in Cape York, Queensland. After a professional rugby league career, he became an actor, starring in TV shows including East West 101. I love that show, The Straits and Black Comedy. In 2013, he founded Lone Star Productions, a production company bringing stories from the Torres Strait and northern Queensland to screens. He has now written a deeply moving memoir about family, community and love. And as we said earlier, it's called So Far So Good. Uh, it's a big life. Um, you think? <laughs> <laughs> I do. Think, uh, yeah. yeah, well, because when I was posed the um, the question or posed the proposition to think about a memoir, I felt that I hadn't done much. So, I mean, and being young at the time, I was forty two, so I was about, it was about five years ago. So, I didn't feel like I had really had much to tell, to tell you the truth. But wow. uh, I think when we you know, commenced the process, you know, I didn't realise how much there was to tell and, you know, I guess I'd forgotten how much that I'd uh, actually suppressed as well. So, Do you know what I always say? I've said this to many people that I've spoken to who've written a memoir, not that I've written one, but I imagine it's a bit like, you know, when you go and write your CV, you've been in a job for a long time, right, and then you write your CV because you've got to get back into the workforce and then when you finish that process, you look back and you think, wow, I've actually done quite a lot. Yeah. It, it, is it, a memoir it is, like it, that? It is. It, it's, you know, you've covered a lot of ground in perhaps, um, you know, a, a period of time. And uh, I think because you're not looking at the scoreboard, right, you're just getting on with it. So so a memoir kind of gives an opportunity to actually look at, the, you know, the scoreboard, so to speak, and, you know, and I think sometimes you're quite surprised in terms of what you've wrapped up and what you've been through and what 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 you've achieved and the obstacles and the challenge that you you overcame. 
or, or you overcome. Remember Ando, he put out a memoir a few years back called The Happiest Refugee, I think. And mm. I remember at the time people were asking me, oh, are you going to write another book? Are you going to write another book? And he's like, no, because this is a memoir of my life. So I can't write another book about my life. <laughs> I'll have to wait another 50 years. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think, and it's something that, I, that, that I've thought about in terms of, yeah, I guess there perhaps will be a part two, probably won't be for another, you know, 10 to 20 years time. Yeah, because you've got to do a bit of living, right, to start writing. Yeah, about. yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, the most interesting part of parts of life or, you know, in terms of goals and aspirations are, are still yet to be achieved. So, yeah, exciting times ahead. When I was young, and you, you were probably the same, I'm older than you, but I really, really believe this. I always thought that when you were 50, which seemed so old to me back then, right, but I always thought that when you were 50, that you knew everything. You had sorted out all your crap. Yeah, yeah, I did really genuinely think that. And then I got to 50 and realised that none of that is true. <laughs> Well, yeah, I'm about three years off and I'm still kind of making a lot of mistakes. I've still got flaws to, I guess, contend with. And, and, uh, you know, sometimes my my demons uh, raise their heads and I've got to either put them in place or or exercise them either way. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Now, I want to go back. I want to go back, Aaron, to... You're being young, where you grew up, identity, what it means to be a Torres Strait Islander. Tell me all that in the context of just growing up in Australia. Yeah, I think, and I feel still, still feel like this in terms of, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I live in two worlds, and you know, I think there's, I was such so grounded in in culture and 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 language and way of life at home that although I struggled in mainstream. And coming to terms with what I was being taught at school, mm. that you know, I struggle with that dichotomy. I, I guess because you know, at one at one at one part, I was being told that Captain Cook discovered Australia, and there was no one here. And I was like, well, hang on, mm. uh, my grandmother has said otherwise, and um, I think she's and she was a school teacher. I said, <laughs> she's a school teacher, and she has also authority as well. So, so I think. You know, I constantly struggle with that. And, you know, as as I've come through the film and television game, and, and I saw this even, you know, being represented through, you know, my career paths in, in football and as a public servant, um, you know, through, throughout life, I guess I'd, I'd always seen this the, these two worlds that I was always kind of playing in between. And that you've got to be really, and for me, it's always been finding that balance um, in terms of identity, well, identity. I I always knew that I was Torres Strait Islander. I, ne- I never really struggled with that. I think I, what I struggled with was that the, the lack of mainstream recognition. Yeah, recognition. I think that's what I struggled with is just recognition and and the recognition of of my world. And I guess that's what has been my driving force to develop content to de- develop or create stories from from this world which is so part of you know the Australian fabric because ultimately you know we're we're first Australians we were here first um so it's about that coming from that from playing from that narrative so to answer your question I, I never struggled with identity I just I've, I continue to struggle with the lack of recognition 
And, you know, it comes up, man. And sometimes, it, it, you know, it still comes up today. And because if I, you know, look around at the landscape, you know, I'm the only, you know, production company telling Torres Strait stories. And it's been just a lack of, you know, focus and funding put towards, you know, creating the Torres Strait sector as well. So, mm. Aaron, we've, we've got some uh, people listening who listen overseas. Tell us the meaning of being a Torres Strait Islander and the relationship with Australia, for those that may not know. Well, I think, you know, the meaning of being Torres Strait Islander, um, my connection is unbroken. Uh, my mm. connection goes back a millennia, and I'm only part of that link, and that link stems back well beyond um, the Ice Age. So something I'm extremely proud of, and, and those those links are, are spoken through language, song lines, dance, and, and way of life, and our history is, is uh, emulated in the landscape and our relationship to the sea, the cosmos, and to our specific islands and also to our spirit, spirituality through our totemic kinships that we share with certain animals. So it's such a complex makeup of, you know, the, the, the complexities of, yeah, the, the makeup of a Torres Strait Islander is, is so complex, but it's so, so grounded with country and to this, to, and, and to our part of the region where we come from. But also we share song lines with our, fellow mainland Aboriginal counterparts, you know, so through those song lines is where those connections lie between, you know, northern Aboriginals, those Aboriginal clans and and nations that uh, are found, you know, throughout the northern Australia region. But also there's a connection that, you know, takes us from the Torres Straits right back to to the heart of Uluru as well. There's a song line that, that is shared from Uluru straight through to the Torres Straits, and and it joins those links through those other nations that dot that pathway to the Torres Straits. So if you think about it, that's obviously part of that migration that, you know, occurred, um, you know, many, many thousands of years ago. Of course we'd have song lines through there because that's where the, you know, the migration came through that, you know, natural land bridge. So... And it's and it's something that you know I'm extremely proud of, and it's something that you know is part of, it's part of the fabric of of this country, and it's something that also belongs to our new arrivals as well, because that's the that's the shared history, that's the history that that's that's our identity as Australians, and and we can have all those other great cultures that you know have have since come into the uh, into the country. But that's the identity of, of of Australia is the First Nations identity, and I think I think if if we as a country were to embrace that, we'd be uh, and, and and embrace it all the war, the the warts and all, even the new history and and the the atrocities of the new history. I think that's part of our healing as well. But also mm-hmm. know that if this First Nations history is to be embraced, I think we'd be just, uh, we'd be much better off as a country um, and as a people. Oh, I agree totally. I, I want to tell you this story. A few years back, 
I reached a really low point in my life and in my career and I just left a job that I didn't like and I was feeling very confused. I bought a house and I thought, oh, my God, where to from here? Um, anyway, I was in the car, I was driving and I was listening. It must have been the ABC and I never got his name and it was an Aboriginal elder and he happened to be talking about happiness and I remember pulling over on the side of the road and he was talking about the difference between white people happy and Indigenous people happy. And he said the problem with white people is that happiness is always in the future. And he said for our people, happiness is the relationship with country. It changed my life. Just that has changed my life, you know. And for years after that, I've thought, if we just take the time to stop and listen, we might learn something. Absolutely, and and that, and that's and that's I guess the that whole dichotomy of living in two worlds. That's the balance that mm. I, I, from time to time, struggled with because I, I know what what that means to me, and, and and that rings true to me. But to try and have that transferred into the mainstream is extremely hard and extremely challenging as well. So because, you know, we all work into deadlines and and the deadline seems to be by all means necessary sometimes without mm-hmm. taking into account it's like that it's it's not the be-all and end-all. And for me, it's also knowing and understanding that sometimes people are, just, are, are not just meant to understand or will not mm-hmm. get it. And that's okay too, unfortunately. You know, I've implied it to so many parts of my life and I continue to, but the main thing for me is happiness is in that moment. So I'm just thinking about talking to you. Yeah. And that is a discipline, thinking, oh, this is lovely. It's a nice conversation. And just bringing back your entire view to that moment. And that's what it taught me. It's <clears throat> being in the present, you know. It's yes. Being yes. in the present. Yeah. yeah. Now, talk to me about, you know, how you ended up playing football and I will... I need a little out here. I know nothing. I know nothing, <laughs> zero about football. So just be gentle with me. Yeah, no, that's fine. I mean, football for me was just a vehicle. I but guess. you were good at it. Yeah, no, I was good at it. But um, but I also, you know, um, struggled uh, uh, as well due to the, um, I mean, it, it, it was a different time, you know, in the early 90s. It, it, there was There was no real kind of, support mechanisms for, you know, young fellows from the bush uh, going to the big smoke. And and for me too, I, I went against all advice. I mean, I had a couple of offers to go elsewhere, you know, that, that would have kept me in farm with Queensland. But I wanted to go to the big smoke and then it was the lure of the bright lights. And I realised, gosh, there's, there's far more opportunity in, in Sydney than just football. And, you know, I'm I'm quite a bit of a curious fella too. So, yeah, although football was, was you know, I did have the ability to uh, play football and play football really well, I was also wanting to explore what other opportunities there were, were in Sydney. And uh, I think um, there were far more abundant. I, I realised the, the, the opportunities. And I realised that there was just what... Football wasn't the be-all and end-all for me. How old were you when you were playing football? Um, you know, I was between the age age of 17 and I think 20, 26, 27. A so, long time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But 
I think in the end, I think uh, I'd realised that um, that perhaps, you know, I did miss the boat in regards to my opportunities. But I was, happy, I was also happy with those decisions that I made as well too. Normally being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I guess um, sport is a career that ends quite early, isn't it? So you have to have something else. Yeah, absolutely. And and um, I think for me, I was always exploring what those were. And again, I was, and I feel sometimes, you know, I'm just easily distracted as well. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Tell me about it. I'm yeah. the same. I'm easily distracted. So um, I will say my journey with football was also, I guess the the the, the foreground or the for, or the path I took first to you know establish or develop the discipline um, to where I am now today. So you know, in terms of knowing what what you know choices you make and, and the consequences that you know there's there's consequences with every decision you make. And um, I didn't you know you're younger and you're much more fearless. Um, when you are younger, but I think uh, those choices and that particular journey certainly informed me into you know what I'm engaged you know in terms of the path that I've that, that, I've, that I'm currently on now in terms of what how does a 17 year old deal with the big smoke? Like, was it your first experience of being away from home? Yeah, it was, and I was happy to you know, um, but I did miss home. I did miss my. You know, I miss my grandmother and my mum immensely, but I was there to, I was there for a purpose and, you know, I knew that I was there to fulfil my aspirations, but as you know, in the book, you know, I returned many times, I think in the three or, I think two or three times uh, where, you know, I, I say that Sydney, uh, Sydney sat me on my backside a couple of times, but I think it was from those learnings that, you know, when I did decide to, as you know from reading the book, making the decision to pursue a film and television or acting career, and there wasn't much thought in <laughs> in in making that decision because, as you were aware, when I did land in Sydney and was in the pursuit of you know this new acting career, so to speak. You know, there were no roles. There weren't, there weren't many roles for everyone. Well, that's what I was going. That was going to be my next question. Audacity, right? <laughs> what? <laughs> And did you have acting experience? No. No, no. No. Um, but I knew that it, it was something that I could do and do really well. 
Tell me a story about a particular experience, like when you walked into something that you absolutely knew nothing of. <laughs> oh, look, man, it was straight off the bat. Like, you yeah. know, these, these early auditions that I went to, like, you know, I knew nothing. Well, yeah. I, I mean, I, I knew nothing about how to, you know, do it in an Ameri- American accent back then. I think, you know, I literally, like, and that's the thing, I'm not afraid of diving in the deep end. I think it's for me, I mean, you've just got to, give it a crack. I mean, yeah, look, I came up, you know, uh, and, and, and this game in film and television, like you, it's, 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 you're in the business of rejections, you mm-hmm. know, especially act, acting as well. So, and no one knew who the hell I was the first year when I came down because remote area nurse hadn't, hadn't screened yet. And it was just about to, you know, it was released in, in January, 2006. So for all of 2005, um, a lot of the you know major casting agents here, uh, in Sydney knew didn't know who the hell I was, so yeah, they were they were very you know lean times. But I think I, gosh, I just stayed ultra optimistic during that time, and you know it was only a matter of time that that I did land you know those a, a role. And then it just began to, you know, it, it, it went from there. You know, and you just learned on the job. Yeah, basically just learned on, on the job, you know, because the my next big gig, like television gig, was East West 101. And when I went on to, you know, three seasons and, gosh, what that was a great learning, learning ground. And um, great show. Great show, great people, great mentors. And at the same time, I was, I, you know, I was – Mindful enough that I needed, because I, I knew that this was my last shot, and this 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 was my you know my break of all breaks, and that if if if, if I didn't put mentors around me or, or reach out and and create those and develop those relationships, that this was this again was going to end up like like my football career. So I was very fortunate and lucky that um, you know I had Penny Chapman and Helen Pankhurst. And then you know, then the relationship that I developed with 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 those two uh, great producers and ladies, and also um, then then followed by you know Steve Mat- Natman and Chris Wall, who were the creators of East West One Hundred and One, and Peter Andrukiti. So yeah, I, I knew that I really had to kind of a you know establish you know these mentors because again I didn't know what the hell I was doing, but I knew that what I wanted to do. I had a vision. And I needed to, you know, I needed to pick the brains of these, you know, exceptional practitioners um, to give me advice on on creating my my own pathway. And and but also I, I knew that I wanted to, and it was also part of, you know, creating a sustainable career. Mm-hmm. And as as much as it was, you know, at the time, you know, a fistful of hope and a pocket full of dreams. Mm-hmm. Do you think um, <clears throat> you're a mentor now to many people, to many young um, people? I mean, I have, like, I, I have, uh, you know, people have reached out and, yeah, look, you know, I've given people, you know, insights and, and, and advice and and um, in, in terms of what pathways they should go, especially for those who are wanting to leave community or leave final mm-hmm. Queensland that, you know, I think, um, the pathway that I decided to go is the is is more of a tougher route. I think you could there's there's a easier well not so much an easier route, but there's a there's a route where you can, you know, if, if you were to go down uh, applying for particular institutions, 
so you can have that support and base network and, and at the same time be able to inform yourself about the industry because sometimes you're not gonna you're not gonna you're not gonna get be that lucky you know with with the mentors that I was able to surround myself with because I, I was I was extremely really blessed yeah do you think it's easier now for first nations people do you think it's getting easier or do you think that the, the um, <clears throat> challenges are still there I think the challenges are still there we've only really scratched the surface I mean you know like in terms of I mean the country still I mean we're still <laughs> I mean, for God's sake, we're, we're still, you know, we're, we're only only now moving towards, you know, we're constantly looking at, you know, having discussions, real discussions around constitutional ref, reform and what that actually looks like. So I think mm-hmm. as much as we have made a lot of headway, especially in the film and television sector, you know, we're still not, we're only just now kind of coming coming into, into the mainstream, so to speak. You're not going to see Mystery Road on Channel 9. You know what I mean? You're not going to mm. see Mystery Road on Channel 10. By the way, I loved it. But but it's still, you know what I mean? Like until, you know, we've got our stories being seen across all broadcasting, the, the, across the, the length and breadth of, of the broad broadcasting landscape, we would be foolish to think that, you know, we've arrived. Mm. You know, I mean, mm. the, the challenges are still there and as much as we've got, you know, this this, this group of, there have always been waves of pioneers. I mean, started out with Uncle Bob Mazza, Gary Foley, Justine Saunders, David Gulpalil. And then the next wave have been, or this this wave that have gone through has been um, Leah Purcells, Warwick Thornton's, Wayne Blair's, Ivan Sands. But there is still a lot more improvement um, to be done, a lot more work to do. So... I want to tell you about this Indigenous Australian writer that came to see me recently, really talented guy called Adam Thompson. Anyway, he's written a a short story collection called Born Into This. And I, naively or stupidly, whatever you want to call it, I said to him, this is brilliant. I said, why has it taken you so long to write? And you know what he said? Cheryl, I've been telling stories all my life. And that was a der moment for me. I mean, what was I thinking? But, you know, it is, you know, now a a lot more diversity is being published. But, of course, people have been telling, you know, of course First Nations people have been telling stories all their lives. Yeah, Um, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and that's something that... um that 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 response doesn't yeah surprise me at all. <laughs> oh, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I was like, you know. Yeah. Anyway, he was beautiful about it, and he's a really beautiful writer as well. So, anyway, well, I think we're out of time already, but I feel as though um, this is a must read for everybody. It's called So Far So Good, and it's really good. And thank you for sharing this story with us. No, thank you so much. I I, um, I really appreciate it, and and, and again, gosh. If, if you would have asked me seven or eight years ago, would I have ever thought about writing a book? I said, no way in the world. So this is all a new journey as well. And uh, there's some tough stuff in there, but, yeah, th- this is all a new ride. So I'm enjoying it, I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, well done you. We're yeah. enjoying it too. Thank you for oh, sharing your story. Thank you so much. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au.
This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere. Or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBookstore. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.